Last weekend, we kicked off the series called Make Heaven Crowded, and this is our annual series where we go through the vision of the church, what we're about, who we are, how we're doing, and where we're going. And the vision of Eastridge is to make heaven crowded. It's why we exist. We exist to try to reach as many people for Jesus Christ with the gospel as possible, to arrange a lot of meetings with Jesus and people that are far off from him. And we are doing well with that. Um, We could always do better in a more expansive process. And so today, what I want to talk to you about is present reality and maybe a sense of urgency. And I want to, I'm kind of a data hound. Um, my college degree was in uh, systems analysis, and so I really enjoy, I'm a kind of a linear, logical kind of processor. And so I want to know how is the church doing locally, how is the church doing nationally, how are we uh, as people of faith sharing this gospel with, with the world. And, and I want to know the, the, the numbers, not just a, a sense or a feeling. And so for the past 25 years, uh, there has been ongoing research into this from the Barna Research Group. And over the last 25 years, the number of practicing Christians has significantly declined. You're probably like, yeah, I figured uh, that, that's, that was probably true. What is a practicing Christian? So they've been following this research, and a practicing Christian, here's the two things that you need to have. One, you attend church once a month. Two, you say faith is important. That's the bar. (laughs) Now, we can argue if that bar is high or low or whatever that may be, but that is the bar. So in in the last 25 years, the number of practicing Christians has declined by 50%. Non-practicing Christians, now who are they? They are those um, who don't qualify as practicing. So that means they're probably Christmas and Easter. And they don't say faith isn't that important. They believe, but they're not practicing. You might know quite a few people like that. Oh, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, where do you go? Well, on Christmas... You know, those conversations. That that number has increased and has grown to about 45% of the population. Non-Christians, those who don't identify as Christians at all, are now 32% of the population. Now here's, the numbers go up and down. Oh, and this is all before COVID. So this, when the numbers get updated, this will only be worse for practicing Christians. Sometime around, and this is both a evangelism problem, but it's also a generational problem. Sometime around 2008, 2009, the number of practicing Christians really starts to decline. Um, I think it goes from 52% to 47%. Watch the red line. And all of us should say, what, what's happening there? This is, on average, when 
the World War II generation really started to, to pass away. You kind of go, well, yeah, that makes sense. You know, my grandfather died before this, but it was, you can kind of say, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Because that generation were way more practicing than the next generation, the boomers, who are and were way more practicing than the Gen X, and then they are way more practicing than the millennials, and I had to ask my daughter what she was. She said she's an alpha. Where we go, Z, Z, sorry. Alpha's the next one. So if you have a baby now, I guess that's an alpha. Um, this trend line will only continue to bottom out and hollow out. So the church in America is really just hollowing out. Where now, in, in this country, there are more non-practicing Christians and non-Christians than practicing. So you kind of go, well, that's probably not good. But it also represents a significant mission opportunity. That we are now a mission field. There are, we are now actually counter to the culture where Christianity and people that went to church used to be a significant portion of the culture. Now, those you in attendance today are countercultural. Now, you're, you're part of the cool group. You're, you're, you are countercultural, right? And you kind of go, oh, okay, that's, uh, that's different. That's different than it used to be. So the church needs to have a, a serious conversation as to what's going on. And Eastridge, in our vision to make heaven crowded, is actually bucking every trend that is out there. Um, and here's another thing that this graph doesn't show you. This graph is also not regional. So the churches, the further south you go, tend to be stronger and healthier than the further north you go. That's a broad brush. So what's happening here, especially in northern Minnesota, um, where we get to see baptisms and baby dedications, all those sorts of things, is not normal. What is normal is churches shutting down, churches closing. And so what are we doing? And how do we do more of it? And that's the question of the day. And we're going to be in the book of Hebrews to really dive into that. So in Hebrews chapter, um, okay, I'm going to say the writer before I get into this, um, just so you are aware Nobody knows really well who wrote the book of Hebrews. So whenever you hear a pastor talk about it, he's just going to say, the writer. We all have opinions on who wrote it. I personally think that it is Luke writing down one of Paul's sermons. Because it sounds like Paul, but it's written like Luke. Some people think it's Apollos. Um, some people think it's Paul. I don't think it's Paul. Because Paul, at the beginning of every single one of his letters, always says, I, Paul. It'd be really weird for him to not do it on this one. Okay? But that's when we get to heaven, Jesus will say, hey, turns out it was this guy named Steve. Okay? And all of you guys have been arguing for years. You're like, oh, cool. Where's Steve? Right? So... That's the writer. The writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. 
Let us draw near with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I'm not going to blow through it. Let's go back to verse 19 because I need to explain this. Sometimes you read these things and you go, wait, what? Therefore, brothers and sisters, he's writing, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. What is he talking about? He's talking about the temple. And in this, the, in this time, the temple had a separate room called the Holy of Holies. This is where once a year on Yom Kippur, the priest would enter and offer atonement, offer a sacrifice for the nation. And it was separated by a curtain. You could, only, it was, you could not go in, except that one time a year. It was separated. And in that moment, this curtain, oh, sorry, in, when Jesus is crucified and died and he gives up his spirit, you might be reading in some of the Gospels where it says, and the temple curtain was torn in two. What does that mean? That means access. That means no more separation. Jesus is saying, we're getting rid of that. You can now enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. It's by a new and living way. Now watch this now that you know that. Verse 20. Open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, so now Jesus is that great priest, temple curtain is gone, we can now enter, let us draw near. Does that make more sense? Sometimes you would blast through these and you go, I have no idea what that's about. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, here's what we need to do. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's talking about urgency, and he's saying, let's not give up meeting together. This scripture can be used in a variety, a variety of different ways, but I want to kind of bring it backwards to this time. Um, why would churches have not been wanting to meet together? back then? Why would they have avoided gathering in groups? They were experiencing persecution. They were experiencing being hunted, being mocked. Paul was one of those. So you didn't really want to stand out, so let's not meet. I'm just going to, this is me and Jesus. I'm just going to have my own personal relationship. I don't need to go. I don't want to stand out. And he's saying, Knock it off. Because we need to encourage one another. We need to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And we need to grow together. And that means standing out. That means, you know, possible persecution, possible mockery, possible all sorts of things. So the church in general is, uh, uh, the way I'm going to put it, there are owners and there are renters. Let me explain this. 
When you're an owner of a house and you're responsible for the upkeep and you're responsible for uh, the maintenance, you might take a little bit better care of it than when you were a renter. I know when I was a renter in college, ooh, right? Um, You did everything you could to try to get that security deposit back at the end, right? You'd move from dorm to dorm, you would move from thing to thing, and you would try to you know, fix the holes in the walls, or they said you couldn't nail it, and you'd try to do all the stuff, but you didn't really take care of it as well as you do now. Also, when you're an owner, and let's put this in the context of a family, if you see that the toilet paper is out, what do you do as an owner? You go find the toilet paper, and you put it in the roll, not near the toilet, not on the back of the toilet, not in the same room as the toilet. You take the little roll out, and then you put it correctly on, then in the proper direction. And that direction changes if you have a toddler, okay? You know the trick, parents. If you do this, okay, never mind. But as a renter, let's say you're visiting, uh, you're visiting a concert hall or you, you paid a ticket to go somewhere or you notice that the toilet paper is out, you, know, you say, well, that's not my problem. That's somebody else's job. So the church is, we need more owners. We need people that are going to take responsibility for getting this message out. And we need to be as creative and relevant and biblically applicable as we possibly can. Because if that graph shows you anything, it should show you urgency. Because what type of faith are we handing to the next generation? But the church in general, large C church, they said we're just going to keep hitting and doing the same thing over and over and over again and hope for different results. So we need to be as creative as we possibly can because here's the thing. Everybody else is updating. Why are they updating? Because they need to grow and to reach new customers. We're trying to reach souls. So we need to modernize and update. Here's a really cool thing that I have. Anybody know what this is? (laughs) Yeah, okay. Typewriter, okay. Um, This one's from the 30s. Okay, this is kind of, it's heavy. It actually still does stuff. Um, I don't know how to do any of these things anymore. This came from, they, they tore down, a, I think, a, a school in two harbors. Um, this was the, one of the secretary's uh, typewriters. I got it off of Facebook. I didn't, um, it was one of those weird, you know, meet in a parking lot deals. And uh, it was at the, the holiday by Blackwoods. And anyways, um, I bought it there. What does this represent? This represents somebody's job. My mom, when she worked, she, were, uh, she worked at a hospital. She was the front desk lady at a hospital. Whenever anybody checked in uh, overnights, she was not, not one like this. It was one of the more modern ones from the 80s. But she was on a typewriter. I remember the paper had the little holes on the side that you got to tear off um, when you were turning anything in. And that was somebody's job, somebody's career, somebody's life. What, what happened to all of the typewriters? They became big computers. What happened to those secretaries, like my mom? You either had to learn the new system 
or you didn't, <laughs> and you said, I'm out. Or we could, she could have belligerently said, I am not changing. I am not updating. I am going to stay on, and I'm going to use that typewriter, and they're going to go, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. So the typewriter represents just a wave. Now, you know, I, I read somewhere that your phone has more uh, technology power in it than what they use to put people on the moon. Your phone does. Or the first uh, computer systems that they had, they had built rooms and they had to put in massive air conditioning systems into it because of how much heat they're putting off. I personally remember how expensive those early flash drives were uh, and you got like one meg, right? And people don't even know what megs are anymore because it's just infinite now. I personally remember um, driving to the edge of my university town because right on the edge of Oxford, Ohio was not long distance to call my mom. So I drove there because I didn't want to pay roaming. Or I didn't want to use my long distance minutes or nights and weekends. We've lived through all of these technological advancements. Why am I saying this? Church. <laughs> it's time to update. Because, and that doesn't mean change the message means change the method. Because this thing is still doing what you're going to text. It's just doing it kind of an old school way. It's actually kind of cool. My, my son wants to play with this thing constantly. Um, and, but I don't know how much this was back in 1930. I bought it for 20 bucks. And it's not light. So what are we going to do? We as a body of believers need to come together with our many gifts, with our many different ways of, of being a Christian, and we're all gifted in different ways, to urgently, creatively own this gospel and share it with this community because that graph scares me because I know when they update that for COVID, what is that thing going to look like? Because all of the congregations and churches, and I just had a conversation this morning with someone who was attending here because their church didn't make it through. And they're here now. But there's sadness in what used to be. So what is occurring is then we need to gather together and not be afraid and, and, and pitch in and have some ownership. So in 1 Corinthians, there's a really famous part about the spiritual gifts. Uh, but in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. That's revolutionary language in the first century here. That all of us together, Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, doesn't matter. We're all in this. We kind of take that for granted. This was radical. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Later on in verse 27, he says, 
Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So the question of the day is, what part are you playing? What, what part are you owning to make its heaven as crowded as possible? Because we have to modernize and update the typewriter because as awesome as this thing is to look at, it is useless <laughs> to the next generation. It is useless to ours. Because here's, here's what's happening. We'll put the graph back up. Um, this should be a, a call to arms. This should be a, a rallying cry of, well, what are we as a church going to do? Because here's the thing. Now that we're countercultural, we are living in a mission field. Your home is a mission field. But we are so afraid to share this gospel because it's offensive. It is. It's exclusive. It is. This week, we all are uh, gathering with family and friends uh, to celebrate Thanksgiving. And what are the two things that you are forbidden to speak of? Religion and politics, right? Don't bring it up. It's touchy. Why? I'm not politi- I don't care. But religion. Why? Because if this is the most important thing in our life and in our world, if this is our salvation, this is our soul, this is our spirit, and we proclaim the good news and the gospel of Jesus, why aren't we talking about it? Because, again, we're afraid. Just like, and that's, that's what's so cool about this bookend, just like Paul was speaking of saying, don't stop meeting. I know you're afraid. I'm not saying you show up to your family gathering and say, hey, sinners. Okay? Turn or burn. You know, or you, you start making signs or you start doing all kinds of things. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is how has this changed you this year? How has this impacted you this year? Or maybe it hasn't. Or what what are you doing differently this year because of your relationship with Jesus? Uh, How are you saying, oh, you know, what do you do? Oh, I actually go to church now. Oh, really? Why? I, it's important to me. Why? It's my salvation. And if we can confidently speak of it, we have to to proclaim it. And I'm encouraging you, just like it says in the the book of Hebrews back there at the very end of this, let us encourage one another, let us spur one another on, that's verse 24, towards love and good deeds. I am spurring you on. Not giving up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day Approaching, Paul is speaking of, or the writer, sorry, is speaking of the final day, the end. Now, here's the thing. It's getting dark out. We all kind of sense that it's getting dark out. There's less light. And that graph shows you there's less light. So we can either say, let's just huddle up with our lights and, and be nice over here, or we can say, 
Let's encourage one another on towards love and good deeds, and let's share our faith in a real manner. Let's share our faith in a way that isn't, you know, hitting people over the heads with, with the Bible, but saying, hey, um, we go to church, we share the gospel, our kids are growing up, they're having a, a fun time, they're learning about Jesus. That discipleship program that we have them in right now is encouraging them to be more like Jesus Christ. So what are we about? Let me kind of, as we begin to close up here. Relevant, applicable scripture teaching. Why do we exist to make heaven crowded? How do we know that? To get to know the truth of the, of the Bible. And you will stand out. You will be offensive because we are now countercultural. In fact, that's kind of the cool thing. As an aside, um, that when the church first began, they called themselves uh, members of the way. That was uh, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They said, yeah, we like that. We're going to be members of that. We're going to be members of the way. Eventually, um, they began being made fun of. And they, was, they were called, you just, these little Christs. And they said, we like that. We're going to take that. And that's where we get the term Christian. It's a smaller, littler Christ. Isn't that a cool vision? We took the derogatory term and said, yeah, we like that. We want to be that. They were mocked because a lot of people thought they were cannibals. They kept talking about eating the body of Jesus Christ and drinking the blood. Then people from outside the church went, what are these weirdos doing? And we said, yeah, we like that. They're countercultural. They started a revolutionary moment. They were radicals. And we are afraid, and I'm spurring you on, and I'm encouraging you to be a member, to be an owner of this and what God is doing here. If the toilet paper is out, change it. Um, don't mean, we don't have an epidemic of toilet paper being out here. What I'm talking about is, is this your home? Serve, give, love, volunteer, Hold the babies. Share the message of the truth in, in Kids Ridge. Make this your home. Because together we get to come and eat at this table, talk about religion and politics, but love one another. And share this faith together. And what's really cool and what's really countercultural is what's happening at Eastridge is not normal. May you join the abnormal people here. This island of misfit toys. Okay? To kinda, and I am firmly, Christmas needs to know its place, and it is after Thanksgiving. Okay? I'm firmly, it's Christmas Eve, start decorating. But that's just, I have never won that battle. Okay? But welcome to the family. May you be a part of it, Okay? Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning, we are coming from a lot of different spots. Maybe it's our first venture into faith. Maybe we've been doing this for a long time. My prayer for all of us is that wherever we are on that journey, either at the beginning, near the end, that we live a life worthy of the calling that you have upon us and that we reach this city and this nation and this world with your message. 
this radical message of forgiveness. May we own that. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.